I think I just end up pushing back at, at kind of this new hustle grind, sleep four hours a night culture. And, and a lot of that's just because I know it doesn't work for me. Uh, and it's not the life I want for people that I love. I understand yeah. there will be moments and maybe even seasons of that, but in general, it feels important to push back and just encourage people yeah. to, to be healthy and to make space to be human. World Suicide Prevention Day is September 10th this year. And if you've been around my life or my work for any stretch of time, you know that suicide, depression, and related realities have played a significant role for me, particularly in the shadow of my father's suicide in May of 1998. I can trace back just about all the work I do as an artist and advocate to some thread extending from that moment. Regardless, the conversations I've had more directly about suicide have oftentimes been clumsy or awkward and confusing, and I don't think that's always because the topic is hard to approach emotionally. I think as much as anything, just culturally not well-practiced at it. We lack sufficient language and expression, much less common language and expression. Jamie Torkowski, through his organization, called To Write Love in Her Arms, has been invested in that conversation for nearly a decade and a half. His book... New York Times bestseller called If You Feel Too Much, along with recording the somewhat accidental beginnings of that journey, is also a look at Jamie's experience in the culture and conversation around mental health, self-care, cutting, suicide. It's a way to say, yeah, this stuff is strange and difficult at times, but it's worth the effort to learn to do it well, because the people we're talking about, the people we're talking with, are worth it. And you might be one of them. Check it out. You so real, real quick. So you're in Melbourne, and there's kind of a, there's a little bit of story of you getting to Melbourne. You're not originally from Florida. Oh, what? it's not much of a story. I mean, we my family moved here when I was five, so, so I was it's born home. in North Carolina. What's that? So Melbourne is home for you. You feel like it's or, or Florida generally, but Melbourne specifically yeah, is like have- it's home. Yeah, I have sort of a love-hate or, or love-dislike. Uh, it's just the small town I grew up in. And so I, it, it's kind of, it, you know, it's definitely familiar. I've lived most of my life here. Uh, but at this point, I, I tell people it's a good place to be a kid. And I imagine it's a good place to raise a family. And it's a bit tricky um, as a late 30s single person Yeah. Uh, who, doesn't, who doesn't love Trump. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, I feel kind of more and more like a fish out of water. Yeah. And I think what keeps me here is mainly most of my family's here, my my parents, my sister, my nephews, and then obviously the organization's here. But uh, I've I lived in New York in the city for a couple of years, and then I've I've done a couple short stints in California, in LA, and I, I spent about half of last year in LA. And I think about I think a lot about uh, moving again and kind of that constantly restless trying to figure out where I belong but I I'm a surfer so that rules out a lot of the country and yeah. I you know there's a lot to like about California yeah so what was New York about uh, I went chasing a girl and I'm so glad I did because I I love the fact that I got to live there I think I signed a three-month sublease and ended up staying two years and oh. uh and then actually oddly enough developed a, a really cool friendship with the guy that I was subleasing from uh, but yeah, I, I lived in like right around the corner from Union Square. Like it was such a good spot. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I just was pursuing 
this relationship and and then when her and I broke up I came back to Florida and that was that was around probably nine years ago oh wow not a whole yeah. lot of surf spots that part of the country well I mean so my my parents are from Long Island and my dad actually grew up surfing on Long Island and he he actually part of part of that was him surfing Montauk before it was super oh, cool yeah. like yeah, yeah. the new the new coast new Coachella Montauk. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's a part of me that kind of felt connected to my parents and even my dad, uh, just, just being out there, but it's definitely more work, you know, going from the city and then obviously it's freezing cold a good part of the year. Yeah. Are um, you a surfer? I know not regular. I've done it a couple of times. It's not a thing. I'm, I, I don't love the water. It's not, I, yeah. I can do it. And it can be enjoyable. It's not a thing that's in my the, – the folks I know who are like surfers, like there is this kind of like <sighs> moment. Like you get in the water and after a little while it's like, yep, here I am. Location. Yeah. It's kind of this like weird way to say it. It's kind of this grounding, this connectedness. Sure. When I'm in the water, all of that stuff is in complete reverse. Where I was like, <laughs> like, like I feel entire, yeah. I feel entirely out of place. I know I don't belong here. I'm 99% yeah. sure that all of the living creatures beneath me also <laughs> know that I don't belong there and are talking about you it. Guys have, yeah, yeah. You guys have some intimidating sea creatures in that part of the country as well. Yeah. there. My, my son and I were just watching a little documentary about shark migration – um, and, and he was like, wait, the great whites. I said, yeah. I said, they're right there. <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> right there. They're, that's why, yeah. that's why you're not going well, to water. It's really cold. It can cold be. and sharks is a bad combination. <laughs> right. So I don't serve a lot, a lot of hiking. Um, yeah. and running, I, I follow your, your running. I do some running. Or yeah. your, your post running videos. Yeah. Which I really enjoy. I'm just on here to promote your Instagram. Yes, everyone should jump over now. What are you up to? What are you up to? What does your work look like right now? Like, what are you currently in and currently doing? Like, your your days are spent specifically from a vocational standpoint. I've, you know, you're, you're push you push a lot of what you're doing now, which is, and we'll get back to you. Like you do a great job of like, you, you push other people's stuff. You point towards other people's work. What are you, what is it you are doing right now? What's your main focus? What's work look like for you? Yeah. Well, a little bit of a backstory. So we are coming up on 14 years of to write love on our arms, which is the organization, the nonprofit that I started basically by accident in 2006 and for the first roughly dozen years technically i was the ceo or the executive director and as of about a year and a half ago i i transitioned out of that role but into a role where i still get to be involved but have more separation independence freedom Hmm. still do a lot of speaking and communicating on behalf of the organization, but it removed me from a lot of the day-to-day, a lot of the decision-making, management, staff meetings, things like that. Hmm. Uh, so my my focus uh, and the thing I spend the most time on is still the organization. It's, it's just in a different capacity. Uh, and then, so 
trying to think. Uh, so we're coming up on our biggest campaign of the year, which is for World Suicide Prevention Day, mm-hmm. which is September 10th. So this this stretch, uh, the next you know month or six weeks is is a really busy time for for us, and then. Right after that, we have our big annual event, which is called Heavy and Light, which is mm-hmm. an event we do every year, yeah. which is the nature of an annual event <laughs> at <laughs> it's the an, House of Blues. It is, it is an annual event that we do, in fact, every year. Yes. We try to drive that home and make that really clear. <laughs> yes, just so there's uh, no mistake. But we do that. Yeah. We do that at the House of Blues, and it's a night of music. We always have a spoken word poet. There's always a couple other speakers, and it's really meant to be this night that kind of exists at the intersection of pain and hope. And, and we just invite the artists, the speakers, everyone to try to kind of zoom in on that and, and really create a night that's hopeful and, and that points people to professional help as well. And, and we see people come from really all over the country and even sometimes further than that. So and who's, on that who's on your lineup and, this year? I know, I know John from Switchfoot is yeah, often we, there. Is that this year as well? Yep. Yeah, we. It's funny because it's not like we didn't sign a lifetime deal, but it's it's really neat where every year we go back to him and we're able to make it work. Uh, Switchfoot was actually on tour in the spring, and we typically do the event in the spring, and so because of that, we adjusted and we're able to land on September. But yeah, we're we're grateful that John keeps coming back, John yeah. Foreman, uh, a guy named Anthony Ranieri who plays in a band called Bayside which we've worked with a lot over the years. Um, he'll be there. There is a female artist who is also does music, but also spoken word. Uh, she goes by Dessa. And then another band that's actually from Florida, but they live in Los Angeles now, a band called Swim with two M's. And then a poet who I adore, a guy named Anis Mojgani, who lives in Portland. We end up getting all these West Coast people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, and then, you know, outside of that, uh, some speaking stuff. I was in Iowa last week. I go to Atlanta next week. And then slowly but surely trying to write another book. Yeah. Do you do you prefer, like, enjoy being uh, a, I don't want to, I don't want to use, like, the word a public figure, but, like, you're, the, you're, you're still to some degree, there are a lot of faces to to what the work of the organization, but at least in terms of like <clears throat> the the gateway in and the story, do you enjoy being like a public figure? Do you enjoy being out front? Like, is that a is that a thing you you prefer? Is that a position you find yourself in? Is it kind of like you take it with a grain of salt and do the best you can? What's that like for you to 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 be public the way you are about yeah your life and your work and the like Jamie is the is the turret loving her arms guy how how is that for you sure no that that's a good question i think uh i I try to remind people that you know most of my most of my life most of my days are not public you know the the public part tends to show up obviously in the context of social media and then when i do travel for events you know so my life is is rather normal and it's not like people are stopping me on the street. Uh, but I, I think I feel a responsibility. And, you know, at this point, being in it for over a decade, I, you know, I, I think things that used to not be normal have a way of becoming normal over time. But I, I just, you know, it's an honor to 
feel like I represent something that's a lot bigger than me and, and to know that a lot of people who maybe follow me or want to connect with me, it's, it's because they associate me not only with the organization, but with hope, with sobriety, with healing. Yeah. And, and so I try not to take that for granted. And then I think the other, the other part of the answer is it, it's been an interesting shift where for the first 11, 11 or so years, there weren't a lot of critics, you know, mental health, suicide prevention. Right. It, you don't, you're not met with a, a ton of criticism. People might ask questions or they might not get it. But you were and, getting a ton of pushback uh, as push, like the way people know pushback now. Exactly. And, and so now, and it's not that, it's not that that has come uh, because of the organization, but I think for me as an individual, as I've started to learn and care about some other issues, you know, everything from immigration to gun violence uh, and, and even just thinking about this administration and, and how it affects people and, and me choosing to speak up, uh, that has certainly been met with with criticism. And so it's been interesting not only to navigate that, but also to navigate the aspect where people kind of try to use the to write love on our arms part against me. Hmm. You know, like, oh, I liked you better when you, I liked you better when you just talked about hope. Or what happened to love? You know, kind of these like blanket statements right. as if how, how how dare you rock the boat or how dare you be critical or tell someone they're wrong. Uh, and then, I, you know, I'll, I'll kind of land the answer here. But I, I think I've I try to remember that if if the biggest challenge I face is dealing with pushback on social media, <laughs> that really doesn't compare to the people for whom I'm trying to speak up on behalf of yeah so it's like there are families separated and miserable at the southern border if i have to take some heat on instagram that i think i can handle that or i want to be able to handle that yeah And you spend a decent amount of time. Not it's not overwhelming. I mean, you, you do spend time online. Do you have? I mean, there's been and it kind of waxes and wanes. Like the, the the conversation about like health and relationships, and can you have actual relationships online? Um, do you have kind of feelings, opinions? Do you, like, are you still kind of navigating? Like, I'm online because, like, like you said, you, you'll take heat online from people, and it's sort of different than. You know, it, it's easier to brush off depending on how you take it. Like, are you still navigating what it looks like to to be healthy online? Do you feel like it's just a space like other spaces and we have to learn it? Or do you kind of buy into any of the the bit of that conversation that has about has to do with like a like a particular toxicity or like a particular threat to online relationships? Yeah. I I think like a lot of people I'm trying to find that balance. I have a counseling appointment this afternoon. I go every week and we almost every week end up talking at some point about social media, about dealing with conflict, about, about how it makes me feel. So I, I think I'm more and more drawn. I wouldn't say I've applied 
of this yet or much in my own life, but I'm really impressed and kind of drawn to people who make hard boundaries. One example, I don't think he'd mind me saying it, but I was with John Foreman and I forget how we even stumbled upon it, but he just mentioned that he gives himself 20 minutes a day for Instagram. And I was just, just kind of like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then I thought, wow, I spend way more time than that. And so I just thought it was a really neat, it, it wasn't all or nothing, but he's decided on this amount of time that is healthy for him. It's healthy for his marriage. Obviously it, it, it probably allows, it frees him up to spend the other parts of the day in different ways. But I, I think I've just realized if I spend too much time almost doing anything, whether hmm. I'm dealing with criticism or just right. wandering around or whatever it may, may be, uh, that it doesn't feel great. And I'm thankful. I think you are too. Like I, I love as a communicator using social media. Oh yeah. Uh, but I, I know, I know it can be too much. And, and so I want to balance that with time alone, time with friends, time with family, reading a book, watching a show, you know, just, I, it never feels great to, to spend hours and hours on there. And I think like what you were maybe alluding to, there are days where you feel like you're going to spend more time than others for yeah. certain reasons. You know, if there's a certain topic or you're trying to respond to people. Uh, but man, when John said that 20 minutes thing, it was really, yeah. it really stuck with me. Do you feel, do you feel like, cause I personally do like the, the you know, part of the conversation about being online and relationships as a storyteller or something like, I don't I don't want to get like, you don't have like an agenda per se, but like, it's not like you're online just to be online because it's enjoyable. Sometimes it is, but you have stuff you're trying to do. You have stuff you want people to think and see and believe. And do you buy, cause I do, do you buy people changing their minds because of online relationships? There's like part of the, part of the conversation is like, you know, you know, uh, I didn't even had to talk about it, but like, you know, folks will kind of jump at like, well, you know, arguing, arguing on Facebook or arguing online and it's, and it's worthless. And I don't, I don't know that it is, um, yeah. I, like, do you feel like you move the needle for people online? Do you feel like minds change online, uh, in online settings and because of things that you've posted or said, have you seen that happen where people, someone has been like moved or changed or at least, you know, the beginning of change because of online interaction? That's a good question. I think, I think what I, what I see the most, um, and maybe I'll even kind of shift the role. I feel like what I experience from, or, or what I've learned and gained from from people who I follow and voices that I respect on, online, I, I think a lot of times, whether it's in writing or speaking, people provide language that helps. Maybe they provide language that expresses how I feel or something I'm struggling with. Hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty rare to totally cause someone to do a 180, you know, to yeah. that it's, it's definitely rare to think this person was a Trump supporter and they encountered my tweet and they no longer support Trump, you know, <laughs> right. but I think, I think realistically what I hope to do is speak for people who feel alone, who are hurting. I think, you know, I, I get we, we talked a little bit about the criticism but I, I also get kind of these amazing moments where people will thank me 
you know, thank you for speaking up. Uh, you know, my family has been affected by this or, or, you, you know, I, I think so that, I think that helps me keep going or yeah. helps keep, keep me going. Uh, and then I think too, I, I've actually been thinking about this question lately and I think some of it is, is like, it'll, it'll have to be so nuanced and careful. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to win over Trump supporters just by saying Trump is wrong. Like, I think it'll have yes. to be a patient, careful process that tries to meet people in the middle and is willing to listen. Right. Uh, and, and that's really hard to do, especially when, a, when it's on social media, and B, when you're really passionate about something. But I, I think, you know, even whether it's you or Glennon Doyle, uh, I think I'm thankful for voices that in the last couple of years, these folks have given me language and, and helped maybe energize me to keep going. And, and yeah. wow, I really do believe this, or I really do feel this, or even, wow, this person has brought my attention to this issue I didn't know about or didn't previously care about. Um, are, are there things, excuse me, a mind change, are, th are there things that you believe or know now, maybe like a couple of distinctives, like <clears throat> about relationships, maybe generally, but relationships, mental health, general health, are the things that you believe or know now that like, you know, you didn't believe when you got started? Like what, what is it? Are there things that are like, Hey, this is some stuff I can, I recognize I can kind of, I can put a pin in this and say, okay, I've changed my mind here and I'm better for it. My work is better for it. Is there stuff that you know now that you didn't know early and not even that you would have wished, but that you're at least sure. glad that you know now. Yeah, I, th I think, and it may sound simple, but the first thing that comes to mind is is just that the things I hope for other people, the advice that we as an organization or even me as an individual offer to other people that that I need it as well. And, and I yeah. tend to use the example, you know, I got comfortable standing on a stage telling people it was okay to ask for help, telling people they needed a support system or they needed a community, telling people that it was okay to take an antidepressant right. before, before I had those things or had taken those steps. And it wasn't mm -hmm. that I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't believe it. Like, I don't, I don't think I was lying, but I think I, I kind of learned the hard way. Like, wow, the, the stuff I hope other people do to be healthy I need that as well. And I think it's over time just been a lesson in in slowing down. I mean, I feel like even some of your recent thoughts have rang true. Just, I think you shared something recently, just how do I learn not to do the thing that I love? Yeah. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but how do I learn not to do the thing that I love so that I can keep doing it? Is that fairly accurate? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, and then even just the importance of rest uh, and so I think early on, there was a lot of worry. There was also a lot of excitement as doors started to open and cool people started to reach out and speaking invitations would come in. And it was easy to feel like, man, I have to, 
work around the clock so that this doesn't go away and I have to continue this momentum. And some of that was even rooted in stress and fear that went back to previous jobs, you know, just being afraid that things could end at any moment. And I think I've just settled on the idea that, man, this is, it's a marathon. It's not yes. a sprint. Um, and so how do I take care of me along the way? Um, and then just wanting that for other people. I, I think I just end up pushing back at, at kind of this new hustle, grind, sleep four hours a night culture. And, and a lot of that's just because I know it doesn't work for me. Uh, and it's not the life I want for people that I love. I understand yeah. there will be moments and maybe even seasons of that. But in general, it feels important to to push back and just encourage yeah. people to to be healthy and to make space to be human, not to just work all the time. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, especially if you love what you do. And this is part like I go, I don't even know to go back and forth. It's, it is tough to find the rhythm and figure out what the seasons are. I mean, I go back to that story. Uh, you and I talked a little bit about uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and like the sort of like his sort of like tough love thing for people who in you know in career positions. I go back to the story Seth Godin tells about uh, being on vacation, quote unquote vacation, and he's in the lobby of some hotel, and he's on his laptop, and he's working away, at, you know, and and he's you know he's in some kind of vacation spot, and couple at the table across from him, he hears, you know, one of them say to the other, like, how sad for that man that he has to work on vacation. And he responds by saying, well, how sad you have a job. I don't think he said this out loud, but how sad you have a job you feel like yeah, you need yeah. to get away from. Um, yeah. And like, I get that. I totally, I, like, I get that. Like, I love, freaking love what I do. And I, I could do it all the time every day. At the same time, I feel like, like, and it's so weird to try to part ways with someone like Seth Godin, who's brilliant and like, like just, you know, or even Gary, like, like at the same time, like, um, I feel like if I, like, if I was in like some dope vacation spot, I don't know, like, not that I wouldn't bring my laptop entirely, but like, it wouldn't be all I did. Like, I, like there's, there, there has to be something that, you know, there has to be this other thing. So I get that weird tension. It's like, I do love what I do. But I also know how it feels to be, you know, seven days into a stretch in which I'm burning it for 16, 17 hours a day. And and then my work starts to suffer and I start yeah. to suffer and my relationship start to suffer. So it's that one's that one's a tough one, which is why I preach it as much as I can, because like I need I, I haven't I haven't locked that down quite yet. Yeah. And it is funny. I feel like it it feels a bit I don't even know what the word is, but it. I guess it just feels rare because it, it's such a common narrative, that hustle grind thing that to me, it feels important to try to give people permission or just encourage people to slow down. Yeah. One of the, one of your your kind of key messages. Actually, you've got it up right now. One of your more recent posts is a uh, is a short clip of you know talking about having people around you. So with regards to like being healthy and and the things that you know and practicing what you preach, having having a core group of people around you, people who know you, people you know. Um, when I when I talk about community, I'll talk about 
you know, the, the life and the practice of Jesus who had this group of people and uh, that he was practicing it in life with regularly. And the question that I often get specifically from the younger people is like, well, how do you honestly know the difference between like a legitimately healthy friendship and one that isn't like, and so, uh, and I've got, you know, my own take on like, here's some things to look for, but in your life and experience professionally and personally, are, are there some distinctives for you? Like what are things that are distinctive of healthy friendship? What's a healthy friend look like? Man, that's a good question. And I think honestly, it's not something I think a ton about. I think as you were kind of sharing that and starting to ask the question, I the first thought that came to mind was just kind of how how does this relationship make me feel? Like do I get excited? Do I get excited about the idea of spending time with this person? Yeah. Like almost does it is this life-giving? You know, I get so yeah. pumped when a couple of my best friends have time to get dinner. You know, and and kind of where I'm at, my friends are married with kids and so they don't have as much free time as they did, you know, when we were in our 20s. Uh I, I think just that kind of that does this does this give me energy or does it take energy? Not not that, you know, it, it's okay to to make an effort and and to, you know, that there might be a cost at times yeah. to being in relationships, but uh I, I yeah, I think there's kind of that gut level, man, I'm I'm excited to hear from this person. I fear, I feel cared for by this person. Some of it's even, you know, as simple as we get together and we laugh or we get together and I just feel really good at the end of the time. But I think that the tension for me is I, I feel like I kind of, I feel like I've been lonelier, you know, I'm 39 now and I, I just feel like those consistent, deep, honest friendships feel harder and harder to come by and not that I want to go back to my twenties or not, not even that I was healthier back then. But I, I remember living in a house full of guys and just yeah. looking back, it's like the biggest community I ever had, like the most, it, it might've been messy and we might've been wrong on some things, but like, I remember feeling connected and, and feeling like I had a support system and almost like we were this good gang. And part of that was just time. No one was married. No one had kids. Yep. But I, I think there's a bit of a, a longing and, and almost kind of like I shared about always wondering where I belong, where I feel like I have some close people, but they're kind of spread out across yeah. the country. And and it's easy to struggle. I, I think I, I still kind of daydream about, you know, this place where you belong and there's 10 people that live within a couple miles of each other. <laughs> yes. Um, and everyone's everyone's so, family is either like the, you know some adaptation of the group from the show Friends with all its flaws, or like, <laughs> or or like, or everyone's family is the Bravermans, where it's just like like you just stop by like on the regular, oh, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. just pop you just pop in, and once you've popped in, we have the next hour and a half to work through all the things that are going on in your life, and that's just what we're oh, doing yeah. at Wednesday at two o'clock. Yeah, um, so I. It's funny, you know, I think I'm someone who really champions community and then also just lives with so much longing for it as well. And and, and maybe the, the silver lining is that, you know, I guess for a lot of us, the things we talk and care about kind of come out of our own need. 
Yeah, and, and you you create that, right? I mean, you sort of you you make some of that happen. I mean, that's that's part of what part of what I remember, like have have learned to remember, is like it's not just that there was because it's not like we had options. Like you know, my friends and I, when you know, in our you know twenties, like we had options. We had lots of things we could have been doing. We chose to create the space to make room for other people. Like that's what we were deciding to do at the cost of a lot of other stuff. Sure. It's one of, one of my, actually, I mean, there's a lot about your book. I really like probably my, my absolutely favorite line. And it's a super, super short line is you, you said, if you love somebody, tell them period. Mm. It's just like, just as a thought, <laughs> like, yeah, boom. yeah. if you love somebody, tell them. And like the, yeah. the impetus, like the push in relationship like how often, especially as time moves on and um, into our 30s, 40s, 50s, well beyond, where all that starts to taper off later on. But, you know, various responsibilities move in and we start making different choices about how we're spending our time. And like my two-year-old is going to take way, up way more emotional space and time than any other adult in my life. And that's just going to be a reality. All the more reason to like, if I've got something in my heart or my mind for someone, like when that pops up, like I need to reach out and say, Hey bro, just thinking about you or Hey friend, you know, yeah. saw this thing and just even take the moment to just say it because so much I, what I had before is I had those hours. Like I had the whole Saturday cause I wasn't yeah. trying to, I wasn't quote unquote trying to build a career. I was just living my life and career stuff was kind of happening ish. So the hour the two hours that I spent like helping the friend do a thing or just literally lounging around eating their chips, like was an act of love. I don't have that anymore. So what do I do to, to, yeah. to replace that? And if I've got a sentiment in my mind, like, well, hell that's, that's what I've got now. And I better give that. If you love somebody, tell them period. So simple, yeah. but it literally forms and binds together relationships. Yeah. And I, you know, I think we've all experienced that moment where we lose someone, you know, maybe it's in the context of a funeral, you know, just that feeling of, man, I wish I could have expressed this, or I wish I had the chance to, to tell this person how I felt. And, and so, you know, it's, it's almost cliche. Like we've, it's not a, it's not like this original amazing thought, but I, I do think it, as you said, it just, it, it's a, maybe a beautiful idea to just try to, to express it, especially, especially when we, just when we feel it, you know, like when, yeah. when something comes to mind or you, you read something, you, you engage with something and it, you just remember that this person that you care about, like, it, I don't know. I, and I think too, everybody's different in terms of sensitivity and community. Like my hunch is you and I are comfortable saying some things that, that maybe not every every man is used to. True. Feelings, those feelings things. I love the way you wrote it in the book. <laughs> you write, uh, I'm going to read a short passage. You said, the thing about the idea that we are not alone is that it doesn't do much good if it's just an idea. We have to do something with it. It's like having no money and then someone hands you a check. You have to take it to the bank. You have to do something with it. Maybe hope is like that. Maybe community is like that. Maybe relationships are like that. You have to choose these things. We have to say they're real and possible and important. We have to say some things out loud. We have to choose to believe that our story matters along with the stories 
of the people we love. That like, if it's just an idea, I have friends or community is good or whatever, that's fine. And it's a wonderful idea. But like you said, it's like someone hands you a check. That's great. You literally have to take it to the bank yeah. and do something with it or it doesn't matter. couple last things um one um your relationship i mean you, you mentioned you know you live in a you live in a place that's not particularly trump friendly or, or that is a little more trump friendly and you're not as trump friendly which is fine more than fine um, <laughs> um can you talk a little bit about your relationship with uh churches not like the church grand scale because that means so many different things but some of your work <laughs> You're you're in this fascinating and wonderful position in which um, you'll be invited into institutional institutional church spaces to teach, and you're at warped tour. Um, and yeah. like so, you, and you and it's not they're not two different. And I part of why I love it is because they're not two different worlds. Um, they're very much similar in their functionality and the sort of the, the emotional resonance and even to some degree the intent of the thing. Over the last few years, has your relationship with institutional churches changed? Do you? Then it's kind of two levels. Some of it has to do with the political climate, and like you've you you and I have both been outspoken about not just like, hey, I'm I'm not a fan of this president because politics, but like I don't know that I, I I'm really uncomfortable with. I'm sad about what this president says and does in relationship to faith and the damage that this presidency is having. <laughs> it was incurring yeah. on institutional practice of faith. You've been outspoken as well in critiquing the president. I'm assuming that like me, that's changed some relationships you've had institutionally uh, on the yeah. church side of things. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. And then, I'll, and then I'll probably follow this up with, or you can remember is the church, are the, are there churches, are churches warming up to mental health as a practice to therapy, as a discipline? Are you finding, um, I guess, like better soil in, in institutional spaces yeah. than you did in the past? So you can go after either or both, like talk yeah. about your relationship over the last like five to, you know, let's see, like three to five years as someone who's advocating about, you're talking about mental health and relationships and emotional well-being and therapy and medication yeah, I I might answer it sort of in reverse. Go. I, I think I do think the church, kind of capital C, the church, which is obviously made up of churches, <laughs> uh, has done a better job and seems to be trending, even if it's slowly, in a good direction as it relates to not only talking about mental health but presenting good ideas and practical solutions solutions, i.e. therapy, professional health. Uh, and certainly, you know, you know, we've, our invitations into those settings, we've never done a lot. It's, it tends to be, you know, even for me personally, it might be a couple a year. And I'm always, I'm always grateful. You know, we say we want to go where people go. These are issues that affect people. We'll say yes to all sorts of environments and all sorts of events and and I'm totally I want 
the church to be one of those places where we love to go. So I'm always impressed and grateful when churches are willing to have the conversation and to take it on. Uh, you know, even one kind of high profile example, I have been able to connect with, with Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife, hmm. and they lost their son to suicide a yes. few years ago and obviously have a tremendous platform with, with Saddleback. And certainly Rick is probably one of the most well-known pastors in the world. And, and them as an example, I've seen them do an incredible job, not only talking about the issue, but really pointing to practical steps that Christians can take to get help and to care for their loved ones. And I think, I think for me, what, and, and I, my hunch is you would agree or feel the same. I, 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 again, I think it goes back to something we touched on earlier. I think, unfortunately, a lot of churches are more comfortable talking about mental health than they are about immigration or mm, yes, point, being, will, being willing to point out, uh, being willing to stand against bad ideas and, and even, you know, at times ideas that come from the president himself. So, and then, and then I think in terms of kind of relationship, I, I don't necessarily hear about it, but I can, I can imagine that there might be churches that, you know, think about bringing me in and then they, they'd maybe look at my social media and, and say, oh, he, this guy is rocking the boat a bit. I, that doesn't really get communicated to me, but I can imagine, you know, just, just sort of connecting the dots of logic. If, if I'm talking about things that they're not comfortable talking about, hmm. I, I could see them keeping me at a distance. But I think it, it makes me that much more thankful when people do bring me in. I, I spoke at a, a big high school or a, a summer camp with a Christian kind of a, uh, basically like an event put on by the church. And it happened to be in Iowa for around a thousand high school students. And I, I just thought, man, I'm really thankful that out of all the people who can hold a microphone, they chose me to yeah. talk to the, these young people, <laughs> you yeah. know, and uh, in the midst of, of everything I care about and talk about right now, that they would trust me to to come spend some time with these with these students. Yeah. And so yeah, I don't know, hopefully there's an answer in there. Yeah, very good. Because to some degree, because of the nature of your work, uh, but also it's a, it's I mean it's a question for really anybody, but particularly because of the nature of your work and like the emotional weight of the stuff that you are communicating and facing. Like we talked about earlier, rest, learning to not do the thing you love, this really important thing that you love, uh, is vital what is it what does it now look like for you to rest what does it look like for you like how do you how do you rest where do you find solace has that changed talk about rest for a minute yeah yeah that's a good question uh well one thing i i am a puppy dad as of about three months ago and not that it's all rest because some of it's the opposite but it, it's felt like such a healthy grounding thing to have this little creature that I have to take care of and that I get to take care of. And, uh, you know, all the, all the reasons people love dogs, all the, you know, Oh yeah. uh, I can't 
I can't reinvent the wheel or say something new, but, but just that's been such a, a healthy thing. And, and maybe to even use the expression self-care, it, it, I don't know. I, I'm really thankful that I get to wake up to this, this little animal that adores me and just wants to hang out with me. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think kind of my, my self-care list, it's, it's now my puppy, my nephews, my family, close friends. Uh, I think over time it's gotten easier to rest and within that just simply to not work, like just nights and weekends. I think I've gotten really good at, at just trying to, to have that boundary that, uh, man, I, I want and need to have this time for other things and, and simply to rest or to enjoy life. And, and I'm trying to get better at, at some of what we touched on earlier, like just not, not waking up and checking social media. And, and honestly, some of these thoughts are like a week old of yeah. just trying to think about, about like, wow, what, what would it look like to not refresh Instagram when I've been awake for 15 seconds, you know, <laughs> yes. um, would it like, would it, how could or should I spend that time and what would be healthier? Uh, so yeah, I, I think, and then even something as simple as I think I've realized that I, I maybe need more sleep than mm. definitely than like the hustle grind thing. But I actually try to get nine hours. You might hate me as a, as a dad of a two year old. <laughs> no, no, um, no. I love that. But in like, a, in a perfect world, I actually like try to get it. And I, I just realized it makes me way healthier and happier. All That's the right. parents now hate me. All, all the parents of little ones. <laughs> they've all, they've all turned uh, the show off. They're like, this man yeah, is yeah. a monster. Yeah. They're like, when he says grind, he literally means sleep for eight hours instead of nine. <laughs> grind, grinding. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think just like, I guess just being more intentional about sleep and, and doing things that make me smile, connecting with people, yeah. uh, connecting with this, this new little animal. I love being an uncle. I don't have kids of my own yet. Uh, so I, I love you know, it's such a fun thing and, and feels like such an important thing to, to get to spend time with my nephews. I love that. Well, hey, thanks for spending some time here. Uh, really appreciate it, dude. Oh, man, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I know I've, I've said it, but uh, I'm, I'm grateful for, for you, for your work. It's been really cool to, to learn more about your work. And I, I just feel really encouraged and inspired by the stuff you share even when it's just you after a run you know on instagram sharing a thought that you had i i love it and uh i'm glad to keep getting to know you absolutely we'll, we'll keep it up and thank you for listening to this episode of the at sea podcast if you'd like to follow up with jamie you can visit him and the work he does through to write love on her arms at twloha.com from there, you can find resources on, again, mental health and suicide, specifically if you'd like to jump in on what they're doing around World Suicide Prevention Day, which is, again, September 10th this year. Take advantage of the resources, the care, the time that they've invested, not just in this conversation, but in the people that we're talking about, because one of them might be you. Which leads me to this. If you're someone who has struggled, faced thought they faced down thoughts of suicide, thoughts of depression, wondered why you feel the way you feel and can't quite shake it. Maybe this conversation sparks something in you and it's time to make a call. 
So before you go visit Jamie at To Write Love in Her Arms, dial 1-800-273-8255 and let the people at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline meet you where you are.